The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. To find more amazing Alberta-made podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are following the advice of Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, and respecting social distancing by recording this episode remotely on Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. I'm joined remotely by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. How are you doing, Adam? I am, uh, I am practicing social distancing uh, with as many people as I can, including my wife. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm... <laughs> uh, and we're, we're thrilled to be joined by uh, I think this, this is the second or third time you're on the pod. Um, friend of the podcast, Chris Henderson, Chief Strategist and Partner at Y Station Communications and Research. Welcome to the Dave Berta Podcast. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks, guys. I really, I'm really happy to be here. Now, now how are you doing, Chris? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I kind of, I came into town after uh, ten days away in on Sunday uh, to find a very changed uh, world uh and kind of like crash landed into into the work week um i'm very happy that we've had a weekend to kind of recover from from what the might have been the weirdest work week of my life last week yeah that must have i mean it was strange for everybody but it must have been quite strange for you being away um on on a vacation and then coming back and uh and returning to this this you know world where uh, expectations are different social norms are seem to be shifting quite, you know, at different, at a different pace uh, when it comes to this, you know, this idea of social distancing, this idea of not going out in public. Um, and of course, I mean, we haven't mentioned, said the word yet, but we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, which is sweeping the globe and uh, and has a, had a drastic effect of, on, on, on things here in Alberta uh, this week. But that, that's not the only thing that's had uh, uh, a big impact on Alberta over the past week. I feel like since we last recorded our last episode, like the world has totally changed, but especially in Alberta, uh, because as well as the COVID-19 pandemic, we've also seen uh, a, another significant collapse in the international price of oil. Uh, I think that the, um, I was reading online this week that that at one point the, a price of West, the, the price of a barrel of Western Canadian Select got down to around $5 a barrel which means you could basically buy a barrel of oil in Alberta uh, for the price of a latte at a, at a coffee shop here in Edmonton. Um, I, I, I've been thinking about over the past few days, what exactly we're gonna talk about on this podcast, because there is so much we could talk about um, provincially, municipally, federally, um, I mean, internationally, I mean, just, I, we don't even have to, we don't have to talk too much about it, but just the, the total gong show that's going on down in the, in the United States and Donald Trump's reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, well, you think we should talk about that? We, okay, well, we can, we can, we can definitely, we can definitely talk about that, about that. So Chris, um, we, we're going to talk a bit uh, about some polling that you're going to share with us, with us. Uh, but first, let's just jump in. Thoughts on how our political leaders have responded to the situation. Uh, let's start with Jason Kenney. Generally speaking, I think that Kenney, uh, uh, Premier Kenney and uh, um, opposition leader Rachel Notley have actually done a very good job in the last week, uh, particularly by more or less staying out of it entirely. Um, I think they've done a really good job uh, just letting 
doctors and letting um, Dr. Hinshaw do what they need to do uh, in order to um, uh, in order to help calm this situation. I think and not I think not injecting a lot of politics into this is really smart. Uh, because I think that kind of political bickering would make very little sense right now. And moreover, I don't think people have actually much attitude for it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, watching the, the I mean, watching the UCP pull back some of their pieces of legislation, I mean, the legislature is still sitting, was still sitting this week, and I think is going to sit early next week as well. Um, which which is it's it, which is quite surprising, but but watching the UCP pull back some of their more controversial pieces of legislation, I'm thinking Bill One, uh, which was the uh, the you know stiff penalties and and prison time for pipeline protesters. I mean, this is the this seems to be the first week in years where uh, the issue of pipelines was not the first word that's kind of, that came out of Jason Kenney's mouth was not the top issue in politics in Alberta, um, and you know stepping aside you know a little bit and, and giving room for health, uh, the public health professionals like Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who's, who's really become a bit of a, of a, of a, you know, I'd say a bit of a celebrity in terms of, of social media and, 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 uh, and in Alberta politics right now. Um, I think she's done a fantastic job. She's a clear communicator. She's concise. She's speaking in, uh, when she does her daily press conferences, she's speaking in, in plain, simple language that people can understand. Um, but I just, I can't imagine the, you know, the, the incredible pressure that's been put upon her going from, being in a position of filling kind of an, up until now, kind of an obscure position to the public. I mean, the chief medical officer of health, you know, you'd hear about a, a, that, that someone, the person in that position every now and then in a, in a, in a news story, but, but being thrust into the, the mainstream um, every day uh, uh, doing, you know, doing these press conferences. I mean, that's, that's it. I, I think she deserves quite, quite a bit of credit. And I mean, I have to say, even the press conferences where she shares the stage or, or, not not necessarily shares the stage, but um, uh, shares the press conference with um, with Premier Jason Kenney. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the, the premier has come on before uh, before the chief medical officer of health when he does his press conferences. And I think I mean a lot of the Albertans I've been talking about they want to hear from from what, what the chief medical officer says before they want to hear what the premier says. So I think there could even be a little bit more distancing, a little bit more of the politicians stepping aside and, and letting the healthcare professionals yeah. speak on this. Yeah, I agree. Um, but so the, you just mentioned a little earlier about um, some polling we done. I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Like, but one of the questions we asked in a poll starting a couple of days ago was, uh, "What's your level of trust in certain officials?" And we put Dr. Hinshaw on there, and the level of trust for Albertans with Dr. Hinshaw is about five hundred people have filled the survey out so far. Is ninety percent? Wow. Yeah, like, uh, which is, um, and I think in light of, the, which is significantly more than anybody else we polled, um, uh, like by an order of magnitude. Wow. Um, so um, the only number I think that's comparable to that is, I remember what, remember George W. Bush's approval numbers, like, like a week after 9-11, it was like 92%, it's like the highest anyone's ever had. Uh, you know, so, um, the, uh, but yeah, 90, 90% is, is, is an extraordinary number for, um, and actually it was, yeah, yeah. So it's an extraordinary number for, for anybody to get in a, any kind of public opinion poll. So, um, so yeah, the, she, she's become a bit of a folk hero, I think. Um, 
And I think people are, I think are, like they're just shutting down like any, I think it's, it's interesting to watch how, who we rest authority with in situations like this, right? Like normally, you know, we're, we're so, we're ha so happy to, to make Rachel Notley or Jason Kenny or Justin Trudeau or Andrew Shear the authority or like the authority to, to speak to the public about issues when they matter a little bit less. But when it comes to something where like this, that that's undoubtedly the most, like one of the most serious things, the most serious thing we've seen impact our society in a generation, if not longer, immediately we're, we're like, we, as soon as somebody, even if they're unelected, comes forward as credible and reliable and calming and, and ready to go and, and, and like, you know, legitimate, we're very happy to, to be like, that's the person we're listening to. Or, or, you know, it's fine. We understand you're, you're our elected representatives and we elected you for a reason. One of the things we elected you to do is appoint people like this to help us through situations like this. This is the person that we're listening to. So I think that the results on that are really exceptional. Um, I think that they're largely like nobody else on the list that we that we pulled is responsible for the health and wellness of people, like the medical health of people. So I think that's probably why the number is so high. But like, you know, for uh, you know, it, it was much much lower for people for like for elected officials because I don't think people necessarily expect that they're the people that they're going to be listening to on issues of major medical consequence. And I, I think that uh, on that point, I mean, having someone who's, you know, who can speak clearly and concisely and authoritatively on the public health, uh, on the public health issues facing uh, the, the public health elements um, facing us. Uh, I mean, I think that that is super important, but it's also, I mean, also, I also think one of the differences is between Dr. Hinshaw and, and the, our political leaders is that she hasn't been involved in, in the types of political fights and political uh, wrangling that we've seen over the past year. And I think that that really shows um, the the impact of that kind of divisiveness uh, really shows when you look at the situation, the relationship between, for example, Health Minister Tyler Shandro and the Alberta Medical Association. I mean, for the past year, uh, Tyler Shandro has been demonizing and devaluing uh, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers across the province talking about how they're paid too much, talking basically uh, uh, implementing a plan to lay off thousands of them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, those individuals, those healthcare professionals become some of the most important people. I mean, they're already some of the most important people in our society, but but now with with the with the pandemic that we're facing, uh, the public health emergency that we're facing, uh, their value um, is reinforced. And I think that some of the some of the 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 conflict that we've seen um, between uh, Health Minister Tyler Shandro and the doctors, for example, is is continuing on during this crisis. Um, I think it really shows that it's you can't just you know, if you, once you've spent a year fighting with fighting with someone, you can't just dial it back in a second. And there's still those those relationships, uh, working relationships that should have been there, those productive working relationships that should have been there, uh, should have been there for reasons because of the situation we're in now. So that, that, you know, there can be that trust between the Minister of Health and our healthcare professionals. And I just don't get the impression that that really exists on any level at this point. And, and that's really a consequence of of the government's agenda over the past year. I think that it shows that the, the choices we make for political reasons might have actual real life impacts on people. I think you're definitely seeing that 
in the United States. I think, you know, a bunch of decisions around getting rid of like the pandemic uh, group and the National Security Council in the United States, I think probably, you know, like it's probably not the only reason that they're so that the United States is so behind, but it's definitely probably one of them. Um, and, it, you know, like we make these decisions just thinking, you know, like, oh, that's something Barack Obama did. Let's let, let's get rid of it because it's one of these things I think I can get rid of and and show that I'm dismantling the the bad decisions of the Obama um, the Obama White House. But then, you know, like people start to drop off. Right. People start to die. People start to get the disease. And so I think I hope that one of the consequences of this particular situation is that maybe we'll take, and again, this is something I mean like globally, I don't, I'm not pointing the finger at any particular party or any particular ideology here, but maybe we'll take our, maybe we'll, this will give us a new lens to, um, to put on our decision-making about, uh, and, and you know, like particularly our more ideological decision, the ideological decisions we make, like what might actually have an extraordinary impact on people in the future. It's 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 worrisome sometimes. I would, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I think one one of the, I mean, one of the political consequences or one of the, the political decisions that were made this past week that I think falls into the category of things you're talking about is that despite the plummeting international price of oil, the government passed the Alberta government passed the provincial budget, a budget that was introduced about three weeks ago that was based on a totally different world than we're, than we're existing, we exist in right now. Uh, I mean, just, just in terms of the, the, oil, the oil revenue projections that they had included in the provincial budget, um, I think it was $58 a barrel, which was, I think, based on West Texas Intermediate, which is kind of the bench, benchmark that we use here, that the oil producers use here in the province of Alberta. We use Western Canadian, based on Western Canadian Select, but, but $58 a barrel, and now it's nowhere close to $58 a barrel. I think it's sitting probably around $20 as last, last I've seen. And as I said earlier, Western Canadian Select is way lower than that at this point. Um, so I mean, I guess the question is, is, is I mean, should should I mean, I, I I know I know my I know my answer. I mean, I don't think the budget should have been passed. I think that you look at at provincial governments in other provinces. I mean, the government of Saskatchewan talking about um, issuing uh, uh, issuing executive orders for 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 uh, government funding and and taking some time to see how this situation works out. Uh, see what see basically what's going to happen in the next few months before passing a provincial budget based on on assumptions that no longer exist. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna. I guess I'll just throw it out there. The provincial budget. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I understand that the work of government needs to go on, but I wonder if some of the more political decisions uh, could have waited. Um, the uh, you know the budget that they passed mm -hmm. on Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday. This week, the budget they passed this week is is almost totally irrelevant. It's based. It was built on and based on a context that I don't think is really our reality anymore. You know, like the, you know, and the. If you had told people three weeks ago that twenty five percent of businesses in Alberta, or in Alberta, or in Edmonton, or in Edmonton and Calgary, were going to just be closed indefinitely, closed restaurants, retail outlets just closed 25%, you would have like any, no one would have imagined that. No one could have possibly imagined that. Uh, if you had told me that every business that has a webcam attached to a computer will be sending their workers home for 
like we might be working like i don't know who thinks they're going back to the office before june anybody um the uh it's uh, you know that that is a very different reality for our economy than than the budget that we developed. And, and I under like again, I understand that the work of government needs to go on. The government can't just not do anything uh, while they're and while they're um, while this is while our world is changing and while we're adapting to this new normal. But I, I'm I'm kind of puzzled why they decided to pass that budget anyway. Now I'm not really one of these people that thinks that that, that government budgets really mean much. Uh, I've never seen a government budget that lasted. Like, I feel like I've never seen a government budget that, whether it was PC, NDP, whoever, um, that's lasted more than six months. You know, like every, you know, something changes and it, you know, the budget is off. Like budgets are are almost uh, statements of principle rather than they are actual plans. Uh, I feel in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, I, I think. I think at least a revision to that budget should have, could have been, you know, I, I would have been appropriate. I, but passing it with, with the, with the assumptions that, I mean, 50, I think $58 a barrel oil was a kind of a, a pie in the sky assumption to begin with. I think maybe 42 would have been better. I'm not, I mean, like, I'm not really, an, I'm not at all an economist, so I can't actually tell you, but I think it, it felt pie to me and I, every, Every budget that I've ever seen the Alberta government put together, I I always go to the, the the barrel of oil assumption, and every time I've ever looked at it, I always think, well, that seems a bit high. So, um, and now you know, West Western Canadian Select is uh, last traded at like ten fifty one, which six months ago, if you had told me that the, the Western Canadian Select was going to drop below. 15 or even $20, I again would have thought there's just no way. And it's sitting there like that 1051 is up from the last time I looked at it when I think it was sitting below or at like 912. Um, it, it, so no, I don't think they should have passed the budget. I think they should have should have taken it back. And I, I think they're going to end up having to revise revise it anyway. The economic emergency panel, I don't I think was called when the when oil started to decline. And oil started to decline in part because of COVID-19, but also in part because of a dispute in the in with OPEC. Right? Like there was there was some, I can't remember exactly what was, but it was like an it was an OPEC issue. Uh, and that's when the that's when the price started to slide. Uh, and I think that I I I sense that the economic emergency panel was built on those revenue declines, not the idea that. A whole a whole bunch of our businesses were just going to like straight up shut down, um, and that five hundred thousand Canadians would apply additional Canadians. Sorry, four hundred and forty thousand additional Canadians last week applied for EI, uh, which you know, and like, and that's and that's just the people who got laid off uh, ahead of the big wave. Like, there's going to be millions of extra people in EI. Uh, so, uh, you know, does that change? Should that change the composition of who's on that uh, emergency or economic emergency panel? I don't know. And and does that change the mandate of that panel? I don't know. But it there are some and government announcements and government actions that I think appear to be not completely or not 
not taking the full consideration of the impact of COVID-19. But I don't know, maybe they'll make more announcements next week and the week after, and they'll adapt as the situation evolves. Yeah, I, I expect they're probably just, I mean, every, this is they're doing this stuff on the fly because this is all brand new. They're responding to a, to a situation that is rapidly evolving. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, when, when Premier Kenny announced, I think it was last week, might even have been the week before, that Jack Mintz um, from the University of Calgary School of Policy would be chairing this economic advisory panel. Um, I, I mean, this was, you know, COVID, the COVID-19 situation in Canada was just, it seemed like it was just starting. The price of oil was really on, on everybody's mind. I wrote a piece uh, last week, or earlier this week, about how uh, on, on the, pre the previous Sunday, uh, the price of oil was was the big issue, and the decline of the price of oil and the economic impact was 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 the big issue. And and the COVID nineteen, uh, the spread of COVID nineteen was an issue, but it wasn't wasn't the top. Didn't seem like it was the top of mind issue in Alberta. And exactly seven days later, it was uh, it was almost the opposite. Is that I mean, yes, the economic situation uh, is bad, and the government is responding to it how it how it believes it should. Um, but that was definitely not the economic situation. Was definitely not the didn't seem like it was the top of mind issue. It was definitely secondary to the public health emergency that uh, that we're facing here in, in this country and in the, and in this province. Um, the you mentioned the the economic panel, um, and I and, and I just talked about it uh, that uh, that the provincial government convened. Uh, I mean, I looking at I mean, you know, well, I guess we'll see what what happens with that panel. But I mean, this just seems to be. One of one of the the constant challenges with with Alberta is that we you know we we continue to over rely on unreliable uh, unreliable resource uh, resource development in terms of unreliable prices internationally. Um, but our tendency seems to be just to double down on the same economy, same same economic model again and again. And I really wonder. And and um, I mean, it, we'll we'll have to see what what the panel comes up with. Um, but I'm not the, the members of the panel don't really give me a lot of confidence that the government is really gonna going to take a uh, uh, a critical look at our economy and a critical look at, at the direction the government is going. A, a year ago, believe it or not, one year ago now, we were in the first week of the provincial election campaign in 2019, and the you know the the three main points uh, that Jason Kenney repeated again and again and again on the on the campaign uh, trail was jobs economy and pipelines and i mean i don't know what what the provincial government is going to do to uh, to to deal with the situation but but uh i mean the economic situation was not fantastic a year ago it definitely doesn't look great now the job situation wasn't fantastic a year ago uh though and 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 it does doesn't look great now and and now i mean i don't see anybody really talking about pipelines this week and i'm not sure that that as even as a national issue um the 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 building of pipelines is going to be the number one issue anytime soon here in alberta and 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 across the country even though that's something that i mean that we basically talked non-stop about for the for a year so it's going to be very interesting to see how uh how the politicians here in alberta how jason kenny how rachel notley um, and and MLAs and cabinet ministers react and adapt to this new political environment um, that's really evolving on a day to day basis. Because the it's it seems to me that you know everything we were talking about a year ago is kind of thrown out a bit um, in terms of the types of political debates that we're having. I mean now the focus. I mean I think the focus should be obviously trying to help people who are unemployed, trying to help small businesses that are going to be struggling with this this economic situation. 
um, it, all hands on deck and support, supporting frontline healthcare workers who are dealing with this situation and really get starting to get uh, reinforce the idea of and I thought I think Dr. Dr. Hinshaw has been been uh, successful at this, uh, but I think it really needs to be reinforced the idea of physical distancing and social distancing and trying to stop the spread of this and and getting people to really comply with with uh, and take the and take this seriously. But I mean, supporting individuals who are losing their jobs, supporting people who are going to be having a hard time paying their rent in the next few months because they uh, because they've lost their jobs. And it's I you know I mean most times in Alberta, you know, if you're in the you know in in, in good times when you're in the service industry or you're really in any other industry when the economy is booming. You can basically leave your job and get a job elsewhere pretty easily. I don't think that's going to be the case anytime soon here in the province of Alberta. So there are a lot of people who are going to be in in uh, in a really hard spot. Uh, and I think it's. I mean, this is the reason why we have government isn't is because government has the ability to support these types of to support people, support citizens in in these types of uh, uh, in these types of crises. And I think it's important. I mean, we really need to hold our government accountable and get them to step up and and provide the supports that are needed um, right now. I agree. I, ju I should just say when we're talking about uh, business owners, I just got a, literally a delivery uh, of a Alberta barrel of oil latte from uh, Nate Box from the Black Box Hospitality Group that runs District and Boxburger. Uh, he literally just dropped one off at my house and it just arrived at my desk. God bless Nate Box. God bless Nate Box. Um, so uh, I, I would agree. I think that if, <clears throat> I mean, I hope this shows everybody um everybody in our political sphere um how vulnerable we are to um uh to the fluctuate like you know the, the fluctuation in oil revenue used to be about like the difference between good times and great times i think in alberta right and i think albertans have oh because of such vast oil revenue and and the wealth that it's brought brought us, we're used to a, a particular standard of of living. I think this new this and uh, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of that's derived from the oil and gas uh, um, and the oil and gas industry. But I mean, this this should show us how vulnerable we are to like. It's great to have an oil and gas industry. That's one of the things Alberta needs in order to support its economy. But <clears throat> putting all of our chips on it you know I, I think this this needs to show us how vulnerable that and how position that really puts us in and we need to make we need to make those coming out of this we need to reflect on that and make those real investments in tech and then uh, obviously we're going to need to be pushing a little bit harder on healthcare. i think you know like of course we need to build those pipelines but at the but but we can't have i i think it's such a single-minded focus on it Right now, because if, as it's shown, if our if we drop from fifty eight dollars a barrel to ten dollars a barrel, I mean, it just puts us in in a, a horrible situation at the time when that we need it most. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by The Loop, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. Let's hear what it's all about. <clears throat> Hey, I'm Tara McCarthy. I work at CBC Edmonton. And there's a lot of things that happen in this city any given week. So we thought, how about we boil it down to some of those top stories, the ones that make you think, or the ones that maybe even make you laugh, maybe they make you cringe. So we're putting together a new podcast called The Loop. 
Check It Out weekly through CBC Edmonton. The Loop, you might be wondering, okay, what's this all about? Well, it is literally about keeping you in the loop. More importantly, it's all about going behind the scenes. All sorts of details, I see it every day in the newsroom, don't actually make it into those compact radio and television pieces that you see and that you hear. So we thought we'll take stories like these and we're going to find out more. We're going to talk to the reporters about some of the things like how they even found out about this stuff. We'll talk a little bit about everything, politics, we'll throw some arts in there, community of course. It's about all things Edmonton. Because there's always more to tell. There's always more to the story. I've been in Edmonton for about a year, and I see stories just constantly change. They ebb and flow. I'm learning new things about the city all the time. And maybe you've been here for decades, but there's always new things that we can uncover. So we want to talk about those stories right here on The Loop. Stay in The Loop with us, our new weekly CBC Edmonton podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, or more importantly, through your CBC Listen app. I feel like I have something in my tooth. Thank God it's a podcast. (laughs) Sounds like a great addition to the local podcast scene. I'm excited to give this one a listen. Again, find The Loop on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it online at cbc.ca slash Edmonton. The Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start dispersing funds. There's also Vital Signs, which is an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, and sport and recreation. To find out more about what's going on at the Edmonton Community Foundation, go to ecfoundation.org. We've talked a little bit about provincial leaders. I'm curious to know what your guys' take is on the way the federal government has handled the COVID-19 crisis, uh, particularly the messages coming out of, uh, I guess, 24 Sussex, because the prime minister is self-isolating at home. We heard that his wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, tested positive for COVID-19. How have you guys viewed his response uh, to these issues and... And I don't know, Chris, if, if you did polling around trust for federal government officials, but I'd be curious to know your perspective. Dave, why don't you start? Uh, well, I, th- I think that uh, Prime Minister Christia Freeland has been uh, doing an excellent job. <laughs> no, no, just, just to... <laughs> Oh come on, come on! Dude. No, 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 I, I, no, I, I, that's that was probably a probably a mean dig um, that I that I probably shouldn't have made. Um, no, I mean I think that uh, I mean obviously Justin Trudeau is is in a bit of a of a, a precarious situation, not a precarious situation, but a, but a unique situation in that that one of his family members you know was diagnosed with this, confirmed to have COVID nineteen, so he's he has been self um, self distancing distancing and working from. Uh, I think it's 10 Rideau Cottage is where he lives now because 24 right. Sussex is under, I don't yeah. know, uh, is under quarantine or or its own kind of uh, right. re- renovation. I think they live, I think they are at Rideau College. Sorry, Cottage, Rideau Cottage. But is he working at a 24 Sussex? Because it's just across the street. Oh, I have no idea. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah I don't know. I mean, you see him come walk out and do the uh, the press conferences out in front, uh, you know, a good two meters away from from the reporters uh, uh, from the uh, from the press gallery and from the media pool. 
Um, I mean, I think that's that, that's a good uh, uh, in terms of of um, projecting uh, an image of what Canadians should do if if they if they're able to if they're able to stay home uh, even if they're not sick. Um, I mean, I think that's 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 a, a you know a good way a good way to project that from from the top. I mean, I see other you know many other politicians who don't appear to be um, don't appear to be observing social distancing as uh, as well. You mean uh, like every politician in the White House press room? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that you know, when Justin Trudeau doing that is is one signal he can one signal that uh, that he can send can can send. I mean, I think in when it comes to healthcare, it's it's challenging in a country like Canada because healthcare is a provincial responsibility. And though obviously the you know there is a federal minister of health and there is the you know the head the chief medical officer and the head of the of the public health uh, agency of Canada, and they're doing a lot of work on this. Um, I mean, a lot of it does come down to the front lines and what uh, what the provincial what provincial governments are doing. And I've I've heard a lot of commentary over the past uh, past week about how the federal government should you know should enact some emergency you know emergency legislation. Um, and I mean, the federal government is taking measures to do thing to do things like that. But but uh, I mean, a lot of what you know a lot of what the federal government can do or the powers that they have. I mean, exist to move in when a provincial government is unable to take responsibility, and I think especially around healthcare issues. So, so I mean, it's important for the federal government to show leadership, um, and I think the prime minister has has been doing that. Though I think he he could be stronger and probably could have come out earlier, like a lot of politicians, and and been taking this issue a lot lot more seriously uh, earlier on. Though I think the the Alberta government probably deserves a lot of credit for taking um, taking the situation uh, quite seriously quite early on. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Chris. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, the the polling that we did show, so far shows uh, a pretty reasonable level of trust for the for the prime minister, a little bit higher than than I think uh, other politicians. But uh, again, I think that there's not really much the prime minister can do here aside from. Uh, send signals and put together economic packages and um, and I think the government I mean I, I have a really hard time believing that any other government would be doing anything really differently than 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 this particular government I think that the prime minister's messages about staying home and it's for Canadians that are abroad it's time to come home I think that was his big moment uh, I think he did pretty well with that um, it's hard to think that you know that Stephen Harper would have done really anything drastically different than than what uh, than what Trudeau was doing. I think Trudeau as a as a politician is is well geared for a moment like this where you're communicating a lot and not doing a, but you're not sort of responsible for organizing testing for for you know to that extent. Uh, not that I think they would do a terrible job of that, but I think the I mean, the Alberta government has tested more people per capita than any jurisdiction in North America. I think that, I think AHS and the government both deserve credit for being on top of that. I think we've done more tests. We've certainly done more tests per capita than than uh, than the United States as a whole. Um, it's, but um, I, I think the federal, you know, actually to the point that I made about um, people staying quiet, and I think that that I think Jason Kenney and Rachel Notley have done very well to to sort of keep 
out of the public, keep out of the being at the top of the public conversation about this. And I think both of them are doing that very purposefully. Um, it was interesting because I made a comment about half a week ago about how Andrew Shear was also doing the same thing and how I appreciated that. And then I saw his hit on, uh, on um, CBC like 48 hours ago about, about you know, the, if the government had, hadn't run up such huge deficits, we'd be in a much better liquidity position. And, and I was like, you know, and he completely politicized it again and, you know, took it as an opportunity to, to, uh, to talk about, you know, how, it just—it was just wrong. It was just bad. It was bad timing. It was kind of a read the room moment that he—he he didn't read the room. And I think so. I think he's doing a bad job. Uh, or I think in that instance, he did—he did what he wasn't shouldn't have been doing, which was, you know, like if he was taking the government to task for the way they were organizing things and the way that they were approaching this, that would would have been one thing. But pointing back to the government's, you know, previous previous actions as a, as an indicator of what was happening today. I thought was was inappropriate. There'll be lots of time for that in the very near future. Um, and uh, right now, I think if he's not telling people to wash their hands, stay two meters away from anybody else, or come home if you're abroad, uh, I think uh, I think there's no. I don't think there's much room for anything else right now. I don't think people want to hear it. Yeah, I think I think in a, in terms of a, a contrast in leadership. I mean, contrasting the kind of tone deaf uh, tone deaf comments that Andrew Shear made this week on, uh, I think it was a, an online video that he posted, uh, contrasting that with last week, where, which uh, in a move which I thought was, I mean, it was political, but I also thought it was actually quite effective when Jason Kenney uh, took a little trip out to the airport. I think he went out to was the Edmonton International Airport or the Calgary International Airport to kind of demonstrate, um, you know, why moves that the federal government should be doing in, in terms of uh, providing, uh, you know, testing or, uh, you know, uh, uh, in providing more information uh, to to pet, uh, Canadians returning from overseas, um, and I think he actually said that they were planning on sending, or they did send, um, uh, uh, healthcare staff from Alberta to the airports in order to in order to fill fill this kind of gap. I mean, that's that seems to be the kind of effective thing that I mean. Of course, it's political. Uh, you can't. I mean, it's hard. To, sometimes it's hard to separate politics and from from this but i i thought i thought it was actually a fairly effective move on kenny's part i i agree i thought uh you know having come in from overseas um on the 12th i think uh 12th 11th 13th i can't i can't actually remember what day i came in um but i came in about about 20 about 48 hours after the provincial government or sorry after the federal government had said uh you better get home like if you're away, start thinking about making your way home. Um, and I was very surprised when I landed in the Vancouver airport, I went through customs and I got a sheet from, uh, I got a sheet from a customs officer telling me about COVID-19 and the customs officer was wearing a, um, was wearing a mask, an N95 mask, um, which I understand because they're, you know, they're talking to a whole bunch of people that are coming in from out of the country or they're talking to them but other than that nothing i got like a like a literally a black and white information sheet in french and english uh you know nobody asked me if i was feeling ill the customs machine asked me if i had been to china or italy um and maybe then they would have enacted some sort of other 
other protocol. But uh, if I had said yes to either of those things, but I, I have to admit, I you know, I, I, you're right. I think that Jay, the the premier heading out to the airport was to take the feds to task. I think was uh, maybe a bit political. I think that it's no no secret that this premier wants to push the it pushes it wants to push the federal government. Um, and, but at the same time, I think that genuinely, I think that was probably a smart thing to do for for public health. I think that it seems to me, from very anecdotal evidence, that the that the airports need to be needed at that point, at that time, needed to be uh, have more robust measures in place to keep Canadians safe. And, and I'm just not sure that they were there. So for him to go out and to to do that, I think. And I imagine he probably ran that by somebody at AHS or at least someone in the health ministry to say, is this something we should do? I think he could have done a lot of things. And that's, I think that was a good choice. So, um, yeah. What about uh, the response from our closest neighbor? Uh, I want to talk about two things here. I want to talk about the Trump administration's response. And I also want to talk about the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden's response. So let's, let's start with Donald Trump first. Uh, not to load the question. But has his administration uh, have has they have they really hobbled our ability to tamp down this pandemic? Well, like if you had told me in my lifetime that the U.S. Canadian border was going to be shut down, I would have. I would, like there's there's that's probably the thing when I watch this. Like you know, one day Chris, you'll be you'll be working at home. Uh, by teleconference exclusively, like fine, maybe I, I I could imagine that. I could never have imagined the U.S. Canadian border being shut down to like travelers. That is that is uh, that is something that is un, was unthinkable to me in my in my lifetime. Uh, I think that Donald Trump has fucked everything up, and he's put millions of Americans at risk. And if he's putting Americans at risk, uh, aside you know without a border shutdown, he's putting us at risk. Uh, apparently, in New York City, there's so few tests. That if you have COVID, if you think you have COVID, and but you're not in like a high risk group, if you're like, you know, 31 years old and in good health with no comorbidities, they're just telling you to just stay at home and fight it off on your own. And there's no testing available to you. There's no testing available to anyone in New York State that isn't that doesn't have like a critical critical need for it. There's no like casual testing. Um, you know, I think, you know, like, whereas I think in Alberta, I think, and I don't, I don't want to spread misinformation. So if this is wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. I think that you can call 811. It'll take a little while, but if you're from out of the country and you feel like you have symptoms, someone will come to your house and test you. Um, you know, but the idea that somebody saying, just stay at home and wait out your COVID-19 because you're healthy enough to do so. And we're not going to bother to test you is like insane. Like it, this is the the richest, most powerful country in the history of humankind, and they are and they can't like they can't get tests to people. Uh, and and the president of the United States, like whether you if you think that Justin Trudeau is not doing a good job, you know whatever. If you look, look at Donald Trump, like the guy can't even tell people to wash their hands, right? One of his one of his tweets was just all caps, social distancing, exclamation point. Like, uh, uh, I mean, no one has to, t no one listening to this needs to be told what an idiot Donald Trump is. But let's just like make it very clear. 
Donald Trump is like a weapons grade idiot. That's all. Sorry. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can put it any better than that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the United States, the, I mean, their leadership here totally on a, totally incapable of dealing with this situation. I mean, not to say that, that, that our, you know, that, that we are, that, okay. I mean, just the, the, the fact that Donald Trump can't refer to the, can't refer to COVID-19 basically calls it the, I mean, he calls it the Chinese virus, the Wuhan flu. Like the dude's, a, I mean, he's a, he's a total racist. Uh, and he's he seems to be incapable of providing the kind of leadership that uh, that the United States needs, and it's it's frightening uh, as a Canadian, uh, you know, thinking that there are you know 350 million Americans uh, living 10 hours or or longer uh, south of us, and I mean you know at least in Edmonton we're we're one of the few major cities that are uh, not within 100 kilometers of the U.S. border, um, but. I mean, there's looking at the crisis that's un, that's unfolding in the United States. It just seems like they're totally incapable of of dealing with it. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't know if they could pick a more incompetent uh, uh, person to fill the the presidency at this point. Total clown shoes. Total clown shoes. What about um? What about Joe Biden? He's basically. I think I, I heard something where the only way he loses the Democratic nomination is if. Bernie Sanders wins the rest of the primaries by a minimum of 10% each time. So he is, for all intents and purposes, the Democratic nominee for president. But he has been silent for the last week. And, you know, we've just talked about a leadership vacuum at the federal level in the United States. What do you think his strategy is there? Why aren't we hearing from Joe Biden about this issue? I don't know. Uh, I mean, he's putting out tweets about, you know, we owe a debt of gratitude to first responders and, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think, well, my sense is that because his campaign was so unbelievably cash poor and he somehow ended up with the, the, basically the position he's in where he's, where he's going to be the nominee. Uh, I have a sense that they're they are minimizing communications right now so that they can back off and start to reorganize so that they can put themselves in a position to uh, to take on Donald Trump. Like I, I think you know as unthinkable as all of it, like this is that Joe Biden being the presumptive nominee for the Democratic primary was yet again another one of these incredibly unthinkable things even two months ago. So I think uh, you know it's not just on the health front but on the politics front as well. Uh, so I think right now, I think they're just minimizing communications, trying not to step in it. Um, I also think they're giving, I mean, the Joe Biden isn't going to be able to launch a comprehensive uh, healthcare uh, messaging uh, framework to help people with COVID-19. I think he's, you've got to rely on the local state level health officials and the CDC um, and and whatever administration officials can that uh, that have any credibility can get anything, can say anything or can get out to say anything. Uh, so if I were him, I'd just be I'd be pulling back and focusing on the on getting the campaign strong so that because Donald Trump might uh, maybe I don't I don't know anymore. He might come out of this weaker than he's ever been because Maggie. I mean, 
I haven't seen any polling on on how he's doing, uh, but man, has he ever has he ever been, like he's bad. Uh, and the and I I can't see him coming out of this looking really really competent. Um, and so I think maybe Biden's just letting them sink themselves a little bit. As as odd as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, t you know, uh, a month ago wasn't even a month ago. Only a few weeks ago. When 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 was when was Super Tuesday? Was that three, four, three, four weeks ago? I mean, when when Joe Biden became the front runner, kind of a little, you know, he'd been trailing in third or fourth or fifth until that point, and then all of a sudden he was this was the front runner and sweeping the races against Bernie Sanders. Um, that was a totally different. We were in a totally different ecosystem, political ecosystem, political environment uh, at that point than we are now. I mean, I you know, I think they're. I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they're, you know, I, I agree with what Chris says. They're probably lying low, um, but you know, I really wonder uh, as this goes on over the summer, you know, is is Joe Biden the, you know, is is he the, you know, he may have been the right candidate. Democrats may have thought, believed that that he would have been the right candidate to defeat Bernie Sanders and go on to de defeat Trump, you know, three or four weeks ago. Uh, but I mean, I don't know if I don't know if that's going to be the case in in. Uh, you know, in a in a few weeks or in a few months, um, but he might end up be he might end up becoming or probably will end up becoming the the uh, the Democratic nominee for president anyway. Um, I mean, it just seems like the situation is changing so fast. Um, they're probably just trying to catch up. And I mean, as Chris said, you know, they probably were cash poor. They probably don't have the infrastructure on the ground that uh, in 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 a lot of the parts of the country that uh, that that a front runner campaign usually does, or even that that Bernie Sanders does. Um, so. Yeah, I mean they're probably just trying to figure out on a on a on an hour to hour basis as as uh, as we are now. Um, I mean there'll be plenty of time for for campaigning come the summer, come the fall. I mean I guess the 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 question that I'm I'm going to ask, and I don't I don't know what kind of mechanisms they have in the United States to do this, but but if this if the economic situation continues to to degrade, if uh, the uh, pandemic situation continues uh, to escalate in the states. Um, I mean, you know, there could be. I've heard some people question about whether there might be an election or all in November. Um, I, and I, I'm not a. Obviously, I don't have. I don't have the insight into the U.S. Constitution or U.S. election laws um, to know whether they have the ability to postpone an election. But uh, I mean, encouraging, you know, tons of people to go to one central location and stand in line for hours, or you know to, to uh, in close proximity to each other uh, probably isn't um, uh, a good uh, uh, public health advice at this moment. No, and uh, I mean, that I think is a, is a pretty open question. And like, luckily that election is in November, which I think, um, you know, I, I've read some stuff about uh, social distancing coming in waves, you know, because right now we're, everybody's doing what they, what they can to flatten the curve, uh, to release pressure, or to make sure the pressure doesn't build to uh, an extraordinary extent on the healthcare system. And you know, maybe one of those social distancing uh, waves will come during that election. Uh, I think it's my hope is that they, if they have to postpone an election, which I don't think is totally unthinkable, that the 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 uh, that they have a plan to hold it at the next, you know the the next possible uh, opportunity and and maybe we'll see a new president or hopefully we'll see a new president inaugurated it maybe as late as May of this time next year um, but uh, 
but I don't know. Uh, it's it's a very that's a very interesting question. I, I would, uh, you know, in terms of ultimate impacts of COVID nineteen, I think the postponement or even the a, a, a different way of conducting the United States presidential election would be uh, would have to be one of the one of the most historic impacts from something like this. That would be uh, that would be crazy. Yeah, unprecedented. As so many as so many things have been, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely an overused word right now, as I tweeted recently. We we, we live in very strange, very strange times, guys. <laughs> Although I have to admit, like I, I'm not minding the like the. I'm not minding the not finding parking. I'm not minding being able to wear soft pants on conference calls. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I, I think it's very, it's difficult. I mean, there are a lot of people, it, all that said, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are really suffering and, and really worried. And, and some people are much more worried than others. Um, uh, but yeah, it is, it is incredibly, it's an incredibly unusual time. Uh, and I think it's going to get weirder for a bit. Yeah. I mean, thinking about even some of the things that, that, you know, we've been doing this past week, I've been home with my, with my wife and my son and we're all, my, my, my wife and I are working from home and my son's school has been canceled. Um, so we're trying to keep him occupied. Uh, doing a lot of, you know, at least, at least, you know, and 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 uh, we've heard Dr. Hinshaw uh, say this again and again, encouraging people to go outside. Obviously, respect social distancing, but go outside and get some fresh air and get some sunshine. I mean, at least it's at least it's the spring, so you can send the kids outside to play in the in the backyard, or you can go for a walk, or or go for a run. I um, mean, so there there are those types of things we can do. Um, but I mean, earlier, Chris, you talked about uh, you know local coffee shop uh, dropping off some coffee. Uh, I mean, individually, you can go and support. I mean, if if you're if you are able to and have the financial means to go out and support local businesses. I know a lot of restaurants here in Edmonton have been doing, uh, you know, takeout menus where you can order in the day before. We've we uh, we ordered uh, some food from Auto, which is one of the restaurants here in in uh, in Northeast Edmonton, right on on 97th Street. This week, um, we. Uh, what else have we done? We've ordered, we ordered a cake from Sugar and Spiced, which is one of the best cake shops in in uh, in Edmonton. We've uh, we ordered some food from Kalina to go. Uh, so there's you know there's there is an opportunity um, to you know to to help some of these businesses who are no doubt going to be uh, going to be struggling during this uh, you know if, if this if this situation continues long term and and uh, and restaurants aren't able to to open on a on a and operate on a, on a regular basis on their on their regular basis. Well, and, and a lot of these restaurants, um, no one compelled them to shut down or go to curbside service or or do whatever. I think they just they they saw their sort of duty, even though it poses an existential threat to their business, and and just and enacted it and and are trying you know and like and really did did a public service for everybody and you know not not I saw one restaurant that tried that tried to take everyone's temperature on their way in and to make everyone immediately go wash their hands and then come back out. And they got roasted for it. Um, uh, but, 
you know, there, there are like businesses like, you know, like, uh, like auto and like Nate and, uh, Chartier out in, uh, in Beaumont that have, that, you know, like, and, uh, and, uh, meet next act and PIP that all, you know, and, and many, 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 many others that I think voluntarily did what needed to be done for, for our, our society and or for us as a, as a community to make sure that this thing didn't spread. And, and I know the numbers are going to go up because we're, because you know we're what we're doing right now is is actually intended to affect what will happen ten days from now, but um, but those are really responsible sacrifices that those businesses have made, and I think that we owe it to those businesses to really to to support them any way that we can. Um, you know we're we're trapped in our house a little bit more than than most because the government asked us to stay at home and self isolate for for 14 days in a, in a, a little more restrictive fashion. And, and so we, you know, we're not able to just go to the grocery store and, and, uh, and whatnot, but, you know, people have been so, so kind to bring us food and, and run, do, do errands for us and, uh, you know, like help really help us live our lives. Uh, at the same time, I, we ran out of like Clorox wipes when I found uh, a box of isopropyl uh, in our garage and I've been able to make my own cleansing uh fluid uh to DIY things DIY yeah i would be actually very good in a uh in an apocalyptic situation provided that google was still available i'll be <laughs> fine i think um otherwise i'd probably be doomed um but yeah the it's been i think we've been really had an opportunity to see the best in everybody um and, you know people some of the i i know one person whose business completely got wiped out for the year if, if uh, if things kind of return to a, a version of what we were we considered normal before, they might recover. But they're you know they're in a position where they're not they don't they don't have any work for ahead of them for six months, and they're out there delivering. They're going to the grocery store for people, doing whatever they can for everybody, dropping off home baked cookies. You know, it's really like, despite the fact that they're like incredibly worried about what their future is going to look like, they've gone out of their way to help others. I think that's. I think it's been extraordinary to see people pull together. Yeah, one of the things in our neighborhood that we we noticed this week was um, families with in, in houses with kids. They've been putting uh, art in their front window, and we live in a in a uh, uh, mature neighborhood in in central Edmonton. So there's we don't have the the front driveway situation that uh, that, that a lot of more suburban neighborhoods have. So our front windows are in the front. Big big living room windows are right in front of the front of our house. So. So kids have been putting their picture art in uh, in their windows, and on St. Patrick's Day we cut out we we traced a shamrock and put a green shamrock in the window, and and now that it's now that it's starting to to warm up, the sidewalks are clear. And last year we uh, you know we were, our neighborhood was lucky to get neighborhood renewal, so we have brand new sidewalks from the city of Edmonton, uh, which are great for chalk drawing. So my my son's been drawing chalk on the front, and we left a little bucket of chalk out on the front, so kids who walk by can draw chalk on the on the front sidewalk so that's been fun um so there's been kids who've come by and draw drawn chalk uh, pictures on the front so there's th the things like that that uh i mean that have been really interesting to see uh develop in in neighborhoods kind of you know especially i mean not just parents kids with people with kids but especially people with kids who are who are uh, you know all of a sudden not in school all, all of a sudden not in the type of social situations playing with their friends outside like they're used to so that's that's been uh, uh, something that I think has been quite positive. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a good time maybe to talk about some of the poll results that uh, Chris's company has done, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but it was around attitudes and thoughts about the COVID-19 pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah. So, uh, so my company, uh, Live Station Communications and Research, we did a sort of on our own, not for anybody, did a public opinion poll uh, last week and then did another one starting a couple days ago. Um, just to ask, you know, what, how you're feeling about things and what you're, you know, some of the actions that you're taking. Um, um, so again, it's a public opinion poll. It's not like a big scientific poll there, but we had, we've had thousands of people, about 2000 people, uh, respond to the first poll and we're, uh, only a few days into the, into the new one. And we've got, you know, uh, several hundred responses to that one, about 500 responses to that one. But, uh, so far, um you've got about 80 percent of res respondents have registered a strong or extremely strong level of concern um sorry one second yeah um 86 percent of people think that the currently described measures like washing hands and social distancing and self-isolation and uh, working from home 86 percent of people think that those measures are going to have an effect i talked a little bit about earlier about the the uh, ninety percent of respondents saying that they trusted uh, the Dina or Dr. Dina Henshaw, um, which I think is reflective of her communications. I think that the like the highlight of all of all of the results we've seen is that uh, is that the public information communications I think are working extremely well. Uh, I think everybody, you know, I think from the cities to the government to AHS, I think they're like the coordination, the the messaging coordination, and and then what we're what people on their own are putting out on social are um, are all coordinated really well. I think we're, I think if you're looking for an endorsement of a society that can get past fake news, I think this might be, this might be one of one of it. Uh, when we asked people last week if they thought AHS was responding adequately to this, uh, eighty three percent of them said that they were last week, and then this week they're saying that ninety two, or sorry, ninety two percent of them say wow. that AHS is responding adequately. I, um, I would think that that's pretty high for AHS because they get so embroiled in pol politics, don't they? Yeah, and there's always like for 90, for 8%, like 8% of people, I think it breaks down to like um, eight or 6% felt like they weren't really responding that adequately. And then 2% felt like they weren't responding adequately at all. Like, first of all, that 2% is in the margin of error, basically. Uh, and there's always going to be a dickhead in any group of people that you talk to, right? Like, so, um, so you know, there's always going to be a group of people that are always going to say, "No, I think AHS is doing a terrible job because, you know, they're not, you know, they're not telling us to cure our COVID nineteen with onions." Um, so, uh, but uh, the trust in AHS decision making again. Last week it was eighty four percent. This week again it's ninety two percent. That's that's sort of different than the. As a different question than are they responding adequately? A really similar story with the government of Alberta. Last week we asked, is the government of Alberta responding adequately? 75% of people said, yeah, they were last week. And then this week about 88% are saying they are. So I think we're seeing that that level of trust go up as the world changes. So um, the trust in government decision-making, uh, same thing. 77% last week said that the government is, is making the right decisions. 83% say that they're making the right decisions right now. Um, you know, and uh, and I expect that number will, will start to climb uh, a little bit. 
Um, this was the one I thought was was most um, most interesting, and that's that ninety three percent of people said that they had uh, that they knew where to get reliable information about COVID nineteen, and eighty six percent of all people polled said that they strongly or sorry that they uh, that they like agreed or strongly agreed that they knew where to get reliable information. So the, the back half of those respondents, or sorry, the 86% of all respondents were on like the, the, the like four out of five or five out of five uh, level. So, and, um, yeah. And that source of information is Facebook, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all Facebook. It's, it's basically Russian, uh, any, <laughs> People know to get reliable information out of Russian bots. <laughs> I mean, I think they um, we had a we had one result. There's an interesting result about. Sorry, I'm just pulling it up. Um, we had one group of people that said, "Oh, this this was sorry, this was interesting." Eighty percent of people are either strongly or extremely concerned about the level of uh, about the outbreak five percent of people were either not very concerned or not at all concerned so i think this is really what we're doing is really working when the, the messages are absolutely getting across the one interesting thing was is my company responding adequately to uh to covid19 and we got very similar results to um we got very similar results to the government and AHS, except 29% of people didn't have an opinion on that. And this is a poll where people have very strong opinions. They're the I don't knows or or can't says is are very low. It's like six to two percent on every in every category. So I think that the uh, the, the communications are absolutely working. I think uh, people are very worried about the impact on the economy. Like. People think that the impact on restaurants, local retailers, uh, and support services is in the mid 80s. Uh, they are like, or sorry, 85% of people and think that the it, they'll have an extreme impact. This will have an extreme impact on local retailers, local restaurants, and and support services. So I, I, yeah, I, I I think my my message to based on this to the government, to AHS, to the city of Edmonton, to the city of Calgary um, is that yeah keep keep talking about what you're talking about and keep doing what you're doing because I think generally speaking people are hearing it people are or people are doing what you say and people are looking to you as a trusted resource. Well, that that's positive to hear and 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 we can hope that uh, people continue to take it seriously because I think that's one of the one of the challenges. I mean, I, I would expect that's one of the challenges is that we are taking it seriously now, but. Um, it's important that as this situation develops, that people don't get more, become more lax or become more relaxed with it because, you know, they may feel like they need to, they may be able to, to, to do less social distancing or, or go into work. Um, yeah, but that, that's really positive that, uh, that, uh, that. Yeah. And I think there's this sense from a lot of people and you see, I think you see it on social. I think that people think like, okay, we're all taking a two week break from going into the office. And I think in next th this coming week, I think you're going to start hearing things like, "Hey, everybody, we're going to need to stay at the office, or stay away from the office, and stay away from gathering for another month, another six weeks." And 
I think that being having this level of trust and 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 having those those information sources that people know to go to, I think is really positive. It's really like we'll, they'll listen to those new messages about the new normal. Uh, and and if people say you got to stay home for another six weeks, people will I think say, oh, well, that's that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. I trust this person. They haven't steered us wrong so far. And and uh, yeah, I think they're. I think we're in. Uh, I, I, I think those communications are really working well. That's great news. And That's I, great. I, look, I look forward to seeing, you know, the change in results as you guys complete this sort of second round of polling. If, if all those numbers track upwards as, as the few that you mentioned have. Yeah, we'll put something out publicly. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much for, for sharing, Chris. When you put that up publicly, where can people find it? Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure right now. But uh, <laughs> well, we'll, I'll, I'll make sure. I'll make sure everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. We'll post a link to it when uh, when when you let us know. But thanks, uh, thanks so much, Chris, for uh, for sharing uh, sharing that uh, the polling results with us. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much to Chris Henderson for joining us today. Uh, we forgot to mention on the previous episode, but I think this is important, uh, even as the situation is evolving. But the the Dayberta podcast was recognized as an outstanding news and current affairs affairs podcast by the Canadian Podcast Awards about a month ago. So uh, we, from Adam and I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who voted for us and and uh, and chose us in this category. It's a it's a great honor. Uh, we do really enjoy uh, doing producing this podcast every two weeks for you. Um, uh, and thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks, folks. Yeah, and thanks. <laughs> and thank thank you, Chris. Thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting this show. Uh, you can send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can leave a review uh, where you listen to this podcast. Uh, we love reviews. Uh, you can get us on Twitter or, or on Instagram at, at Dayberta or on the Dayberta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay home if you can, and especially if you are sick. Stay safe. Be kind to each other, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah.